Oh, is that better? I couldn't help as I listened to Susan read the part where they sat down at the table with him. I couldn't help think as he broke that bread, what happened? And then I remembered that happens at this table all the time. Weren't your hearts on fire as you listened? And my hearts were on fire too when Michael stood at the baptismal font. And he said, when we baptize a child, we don't ask the child if they're gay. We don't ask the child if they're lesbian. I just want you to know, I give everyone the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> Several years ago, while a member of South Presbyterian Church in Dobbs Ferry, I took a bunch of kids in one of those big old church vans down into New York City to do a midnight run. I don't know if you're familiar with the midnight run. How many people here know what a midnight run is? Wow, right? What do you say when you're on the street on a midnight run? Midnight run, right? It was started by Joe Gilmore, the senior pastor at South. Some 30 years ago, he loaded up his Volkswagen. He drove down into the city of New York into the height of the homeless epidemic. And he filled it with sandwiches and clothing, something to drink. But as important as those things were, what he did was he stopped and he spoke to people. He sat with them. He made a table between him and those who were there with no special designation for seating, no special requirements to be there. And when I took this group of kids down there a few years ago, it was their night. We would take the youth groups out and it was their job. We would lay back, you know, I'm, I sort of like to be, you know, they used to call me parsley when I was growing up. It's an old Italian expression because I was like the parsley in a, in a pasta. I was into everything. So, it's something like Petrucina nella minestra, somewhere like that. But I, I stepped back that night and I watched the kids. And that's really what I was supposed to be doing. It was their night. And they were running around and they were bringing the same, well, not the same sandwiches, but sandwiches, clothing, and company. You know, perhaps one of the worst of all diseases in our society, of all illnesses, is the one of loneliness. And on that night, the bright light of the kids, down there with those adults, living on the streets of New York, brought all kind of light. And while I was standing there and watching this go on, maybe it was our fifth or sixth stop late into the night, somebody came walking by me, and he stood next to me, and he was Stranger, he was dressed in the, you know, the New York City night. Baseball cap, dark clothing, just came up, stood by me. I said, hi, he said, hi. Just one sandwich? I said, no, I'm fine, just passing by. I said, okay. And we made small talk and watched the kids. And at one point he turned to me and he said, you're doing a good job. I said, thank you. Talk for a second or two more. Off he went. I got the kids. Put them back into that big, big old church van. Before we got anywhere near the West Side Highway, they were asleep. The adults were snoring. And we're back up at 3 o'clock in the morning heading into Westchester County. And somewhere along the way, out of the clear blue, 
It occurred to me. It stunned me. But that person who came up to me that night, just a little while before, was Jesus. I don't know how. I don't, can't explain it. I don't question it for a minute. And when I've gone up to people quietly and had conversations with them and told this story, I said, did anything like that ever happen to you? And do you know how many times people said yes? Well, I wanted to wake up the kids. I wanted to shake up the van and say, oh my God, we gotta go back. <laughs> but I didn't do it. And I thought about that a lot. And today, I still think about that night. And I think of the message, you're doing a good job. Don't give up. No matter what, no matter what is happening, no matter what is going on, no matter what you may be thinking, don't give up. And I knew that that had a lot to do with the work that was going on in this church. I remember my committee on ministry. They were an amazing group. Anybody here serve on committees on ministry or preparation for ministry? I love you. Okay? This was actually my committee on preparation for ministry. They were amazing. I have never sat in a group of more supportive, challenging, loving people than that committee. In fact, at the times when I would say things like, I'm done, I'm out of here. I did this once before, I left the church once before, I'm doing it again. What brought me back, what held me close, was the faith, the trust, the heart that they put into me. Because see what happens in this work, is as you do it, as you know, people start to depend on you to continue to do the work. Your life changes because others depend on you. And so us being here tonight, my being here tonight, is surely the result of the way others have depended on us and do now. But during this particular meeting, they said to me, so, it was like my second or third year of seminary. They said, so tell me, tell us, what's the difference between, seminarians get ready for these questions, what's the difference between this year and last year when we met? And I thought for a second, and I looked at them, and a lot had gone on, boy, I'll tell you. I had been in seminary, and I had had experiences in the classroom as an out candidate. I had listened to everybody talking about getting calls, and I started going, oh my God, I gotta get a call. What am I gonna get a call? Who's gonna give me a call? Who's gonna get a call? And I said to them, you know what happened? I finally realized that I don't need to be ordained in my life. And then I said, all I need to do is to stay on the path. And they smiled. And if God wanted me to be ordained, I'd be ordained. And if God didn't want me to be ordained, God would have something else in store for me. But what I couldn't do was to start to change who I was, to fix the way that I said things, to answer questions in a particular way to make sure that I was ordained because that wasn't my job. My job was to be open, honest as I could be, transparent as I could be, to stay on the path, to not give up, and to trust in God. You may remember, many of us do, what Michael and others have referred to before, and there's a display over here 
There, there were some really difficult times out there. If you were a gay person in the church, in society, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, all the initials weren't together, but the people were there. And we all got treated pretty harshly in a lot of situations. As I mentioned, even the holiest of places were difficult, such as seminaries. And then there was the AIDS crisis. I remember 1983. I remember the first person I knew who died of AIDS. I could probably name for you the 30 friends among the hundreds I knew. A whole generation of people lost, questioning, what is this? What is going on? People saying it was our fault. It's your own fault. Look who you are. If you don't want this to happen to you, change who you are. The messages were as horrible as the disease was ravaging. But we kept at it. We just kept at it. There were people. There were those committees on ministry. There were the leaders in this movement. There were those special churches where you could be welcomed and affirmed. A week from today, a week from uh, Sunday, was the 10th anniversary of 9-11. I don't know what it was like for you in your church, but at South Church on that weekend, and from what I understand, in churches all over, people who had no idea what had just happened, had no idea of what do we do? Oh my God, what do we do? Flocked to churches. Sanctuaries and houses of worship and places of worship were jammed. People looking for answers. A couple of weeks later, sort of back to the way it was before. And I often wondered if there's a parallel that the people that we have lost in membership to our church today were like those people who came on 9-11 and then left because they came here looking for answers and what they found were the reasons they left. We have lost too many. And through it all, we've kept at it. We've stayed on the past path. And if it wasn't for our allies, for our wonderful allies who stood up and who were the people speaking for us when we could not speak for ourselves, the ones who were visible when it was too dangerous for us to be visible for ourselves, if it weren't for them then, since, and now, we would not be where we are with the changes in this church that have recently started to be implemented. You know, we have always been loved by God. Those of us who have been G6'd to death in one way or another have always been loved by God. And I don't say that out of arrogance or pride. I don't say that out of any place other than simple, pure fact. Because God has loved us and put us in this place so that we can carry the message that we now have in our hands to carry and the much work we have to do. The joy of 10A passing is a joy and we should take some time and we should definitely let the moment of the celebration overwhelm us. Even to the degree of for a period of time remembering the G60106B which was replaced by the ratification of 10A, which is now G2.1. 
104, whatever I lost it, should never have been there in the first place. Writing the church. This is, this is getting back to what we're supposed to be. This is getting that blemish out of that place. And so now, as Michael referred to as well, in our lifetime, something we weren't sure would ever happen, something we didn't know would ever happen. We believed it, but geez, how many times we tried and got pushed back. We now know we can change things. Now, I know that Luke in this morning's read, this morning and this evening's reading, I'm not used to nighttime worship services, that Luke in this evening's reading done by Susan says something to the effect, hey guys, how dense can you be? Don't you understand that the horror and the suffering and the guilt and the things that you went through were all in the Bible? They all had to happen. And Jesus explained it to them. Explained how it all had to happen so that the kingdom of God could be started and opened and inviting to all in this way. Now look, maybe that's true. Maybe it is true that the Romans were so rotten, the times had become so difficult, that the millennia leading up to that moment in time when Jesus came here, when the Son of God, one of God's many sons, and daughters came to this earth that what we needed, we were in such bad shape that maybe what we needed was a crucifixion to get our attention. But jeez, I have a hard time with that. And maybe, just maybe, maybe we needed this epic struggle of 40 years in this church. Maybe we needed that to get to where we are today and to where we need to go next. But my prayer and my hope is simple, folks. Sisters and brothers, it's simple. No more crucifixions. No more inquisitions. No more marginalization, no more exclusions, no more decades of candidacy for someone as called and qualified as Lisa Largest, no more judgments of another's heart and how it is called to same gender or different gender loving relationships, no more restrictions on pastors called to marry same gender loving couples, no more language in the book of confessions, the book of order, the directory for worship, or elsewhere, which restricts, limits, or in any way questions the wholeness and the sanctity of all our LGBT sisters and brothers, all those who have specific other ways of identif identifying themselves according to gender identity, all of those. No more. No more. And we're going to need to pray. We're going to need to pray as we move forward. We're going to have to remember no more because it's already started. The pushback has already started. There are going to be those who will do their very best to undo the progress of love that has brought us to this point. But our hope is right here. 
is with all of you and all of us who have been a part of this, who can go from here and carry this forward. We are going to need prayers. We are going to need action. We are going to need to walk on the path with our God and with Jesus. And if you're a different tradition, whatever that definition or understanding of God may be, it doesn't matter. We are children of God, meant to walk with God, all of us together, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. It doesn't matter, all of us together. We are like the early gatherings of those who came together into the caves, into the caverns, into the secret places because they were afraid of being found out, crucified, marginalized, pushed aside, dispersed. So they gathered together as we do here and went out. And that is our call. And what I would like to ask you to consider tonight, in addition to if you already believe that enough suffering has taken place, enough suffering has taken place to focus us and to hasten us. And in addition, asking you to consider that if you too believe that there have been enough crucifixions here and in the world at large, I ask you to consider what I hold to be true. We are not church until our lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender persons are fully included in the work and the worship of this church, period. And if you question that, if you say, well, it's a little over the top, Ray, if you question that, I ask you to step into my shoes or the shoes of somebody who you know has been marginalized or excluded. Someone you know who grew up loving the church as I did and then discovered when they discovered that we were different, that the doors closed. What happened to our church? It was gone. And with that separation, what was church was no more. And this is about bringing the church back together. Differences, agreements, arguments, confrontations, all of it together in the same place, working it out because this world needs us as a witness to carry the message out there that it can be done. Not the message that, well, you know, even your church thinks that you don't really belong. So as I bash your head in, God won't mind. Now, I really believe we are on our way to becoming the church we've always wanted to be. And I encourage you while you are here to find out what that means with all the people you will meet, to attend the conferences, to have the conversations, talk about these things. How can you get involved? What can we do? There are a wealth, there is a wealth of people here who are the leaders who know much more than I do and are better at it than I am about polity and systems and processes and options and the ways we may go about doing what needs to be done. Talk and then see where you can get involved. And before I close, one more short story. This one about life as a pastor in New York City, working in what I refer to as a complex inner city ministry. I was walking from the train one morning in the winter time, down East 74th Street. I'm on 2nd Avenue heading towards the church and in front of me on the right is this pile of garbage. I gotta tell you, this apartment building has more garbage than I have ever seen in my entire life. 
it would be piled up 15 black bags high, five wide on the street, waiting for pickup. And as I'm walking there under the scaffolding that had been set up to repair the building, off to the side against the building itself on the sidewalk, a bag of garbage had tumbled down. Or so I thought. As I got closer, I realized it wasn't a bag of garbage at all. It was a person, homeless, limited housing, whatever the case might be, sleeping on a piece of cardboard, curled up, looking just like a bag of trash. I nearly fell to my knees on the sidewalk. I'm not sure what I did when I got back to the church. But I can tell you this, when you leave here today, please carry the images with you of fixing what needs to be fixed. That you are called to be helpful in the healing, in the building bridges, and in opening the doors, as Deborah Peavy says, of this church. I know you think that you came here to attend a conference. You were called here. That's what I believe. And when you leave, please leave with the image of Cleopas, walking with his friend from the crucifixion on Easter morning in the shadow of the cross, and hold on to the image that that one cross is in fact, if it was indeed needed, enough that we now walk in the light and the burning hearts that Jesus brought to the disciples and brings to us every day on every path we walk with, every person that we walk with or needs us or comes to us or we extend our hand to. And remember too that we are sent out in the world to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God is here. Now, it's here. And we do that by welcoming, by affirming through the hospitality that long has been our tradition and when we welcome fully one day in this church the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and other specific gender identities that folks use to talk about themselves, when those are no longer important, it's not just going to be good for those people. It is the keystone to what I believe Jesus and God and the Spirit and the God in all the ways God is known is doing on this planet to change things once and for all in ways that we have no idea is what ahead. And we have been given this to do. This is not one issue. We are not issues. We are living, breathing people. This is really about that new Jerusalem, the new thing God is doing. So lastly, discipleship. In some way, in some part, please become involved. We have work to do on the Heidelberg Catechism, work to do on authoritative interpretations, overtures, ways of helping our pastors to do their job. Get involved. There's much to do. Because when all is said and done, We never want to mistake one another for a bag of trash or anything less than the full, miraculous, wonderful creation of God.
The word was given a long time ago. That we only need to walk in the shadow of one cross. That word is still here now. So God, bless us all. Thank God for our LGBT community also. For the allies, the friends, and the families of our community. Because could you imagine how awful this church might be if we weren't here? And let the people say, Amen. Amen.